All right. Uh, this morning we are continuing our series through the New Testament book of James, and we're calling this series Wisdom to Live By. And the idea here is that God has offered us a new way of living. That in Jesus, because of the gospel, our lives can look different. They can be transformed. God's love isn't just this theoretical, feel-good sort of thing, but it actually comes down and has impact and changes every single aspect of our lives. Every part of us, even our daily existence, can be changed by God's love. And that's what James writes about in this letter. And today, he's going to talk to us, as we've already heard, about something so poignant, and that's this, the radical effect of the gospel on our tongues, our speech, our words. James chapter 3, that's where we are. If you have a Bible, pull it out, open to James 3. If you're using one from the pew rack in front of you or under the seats, we're going to be today on page 978. And I want to say as you turn, I think this is such a pertinent message for us in our world today. Because because perhaps more than in any other time throughout human history, we are barraged by words. They come at us now, not just in spoken form, but through email and blogs and texts and tweets and posts and voicemails. Words play such, such a significant role in our lives. And for that reason, James' message written over 2,000 years ago, has significant still, tremendous, tremendous significance for us in our world today. Here's how James begins. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. What a fun verse to read as you're teaching. I really wanted to skip that one today. These are... Actually, very humbling words for every single pastor and Bible teacher out there because this is what James is saying. He's saying when it comes to your words, the greater the influence, the greater the responsibility. The greater the influence your words have. You see, we all want our words to have influence, right? We want people to listen to us. And James says, wait a minute. Know this, the greater the influence of your words, the greater the responsibility. James is saying, if you have been put in a place, if you have been given a position where your words will have great influence, then there is great responsibility for every single word you speak. In other words, as James launches into our passage today, he is very clearly declaring this, God takes words very, very seriously. This is why Jesus in Matthew 12 says this. I tell you, which is kind of a Jesus phrase for, listen up, what I'm about to say matters. It's very significant. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. And if that verse stops you, it gets your attention and gives you pause, good I think it is supposed to. The Bible also says this in Proverbs 18. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. 
life and death, the two most powerful forces in all of the world, in all of creation, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so the question this morning as we begin is why? Why does the Bible say over and over and over again that our words matter so much? Well, it all starts in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, on the very first page of the Bible. And that's where we discover why our words matter so much. Because in those opening verses, we discover that God speaks. He uses words. And then what happens? The world is created and life is given. You see, words were never meant to just be information. In the scriptures, through words, reality is being formed. And here's the thing. Here's what the scriptures say. You are not God. I'll repeat that in case anyone's unclear. You are not God. But you were created in the image of God. And so like God, your words have impact and significance and the power to shape reality. There's an old Jewish theologian named Abraham Joshua Heschel who is credited with saying this, Our words create worlds. Our words create worlds. Nick talked about that this morning in the spoken word. And so James dives in today and says, you know, they may seem insignificant to you, They may seem just like a small little thing, just a passing moment in time, but do not miss the fact that your words have power, tremendous power. Some of you might remember uh, this wonderful scene uh, from the Disney cartoon, The Sword and the Stone. There is a moment where Merlin um, squares off against Mad Madam Mim in a wizard's duel. This is the only time in church you'll ever hear the pastor talk about a wizard's duel. But there's this awesome scene in this cartoon, and it's Mim versus Merlin. It's a big-time showdown. And it's this sort of duel of wits where they each have the ability to turn themselves into different creatures, different living creatures, and then kind of take one another on in this battle until one of them finally captures or defeats the other, and then that person will be the winner. And so they go back and forth, turning into different things like a snapping turtle, and a rabbit, and a crocodile, and a snake, and a tiger, and a rhino, and at one point, Mim becomes an elephant, and then is terrified when Merlin becomes a mouse. It's hilarious. Um, And then at the climax of the duel, kind of at the very end, finally Mad Madam Mim turns herself into this enormous, fire-breathing, purple dragon. Do you remember this scene? Am I the only one? You don't remember it. It's awesome. You should check it out on the internet this week. She's this huge purple dragon and she captures Merlin and it seems like all is lost and the bad guy has won and Merlin's been defeated. But then all of a sudden, a little twist occurs. Mim can't find Merlin because he has turned himself not into something giant and enormous, but something Teeny, tiny, itsy-bitsy. Do you remember what it is? A germ. A germ. 
And she said, and he says, Mim, I have not disappeared. I am a living thing. I am a germ. And you caught me, Mim. And then she gets sick with this disease and Merlin wins the duel and it's awesome. And in this moment, he teaches us this extremely valuable lesson. It's the same lesson that James is teaching us in our passage today. Even though they're small, our tongues have great power. And now James will go through this text and he will give us four reasons to consider our words carefully. Four things that our words, yours and mine, have power to do. Here's the first one. Our words have power to direct lives. He says it this way. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. See, the most powerful animal in the Roman Empire was the horse. The largest vessel in first century Rome was the ship. And James is simply saying this. In the same way a tiny piece of metal gives direction to an entire horse. And a very small rudder directs the path of an enormous ship. The tongue, our words, give direction to our lives and the lives of others. Think about this. You know this to be true. With your words... You land a job. With your words, you form friendships. With your words, you create intimacy. You build community. Words are at the very center of your family's culture. Right at the heart of your relationship with your parents or your kids are words, spoken or unspoken. So stop for just a minute and consider the power of words. Let me ask you to think about it this way. Think about your self-image. How you think. How you feel about you. The words that you let define you. That you tell yourself about yourself. You see... This is something all of us live with all of the time. It's like a computer program that's running in the background that you never see, but it's always there. What you think and how you feel about you and your self-image drives and determines so much of your world, the life that you will live. And where does your self-image come from? Well, it largely comes from words. All the statements and comments and things that have been said are not said about you by parents and family members and teachers and friends. They all add up and have this power to shape how you think and how you feel about yourself. You see, words say you can or you can't. You matter or you don't. Here's what's possible for you. Here's what's not. One night after a youth event, when I was in high school, the pastor of my home congregation, Pastor Glenn Harless, pulled me aside and 
in a very brief conversation, he looked me right in the eyes and he said, Dave, have you ever considered going into full-time ministry? Because what I see in you is a pastoral heart. I see pastoral gifts. And I just have this sense that maybe God might have a calling on your life. And I have to tell you, friends, at that point in my life, becoming and being a pastor was the last thing on my radar. I had absolutely no interest in pursuing that. And yet, those words spoken in just a moment planted a seed. A seed that would sit for a while and then eventually get watered and take root and begin to give direction to my life. You see, Glenn Harless understood the power that words have to direct lives. Think for a minute. Consider for just a moment here the words that are directing you. What are the words that you are consciously or maybe even unconsciously telling yourself about yourself? What is the source of those words? Who offered them? Now in turn, how are the words that we offer or don't offer directing others? What path are the words that you speak putting people on? Your kids, your spouse, your friends or coworkers. Where do your words turn people, lead people, direct people? Do they lead towards life and peace and hope and encouragement, possibility, or do they tear down and discourage, frustrate, do damage? This is something to consider because the second thing James tells us in this passage is that our words have power to not only direct lives but to damage people. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Do you think James can make it a bit more clear? And friends, I have to say, if there was ever an image that we as Oregonians could relate to, it's this painful image right here. Just one spark. Just... One hurtful, vengeful, careless, insensitive, ill-timed word. And the result, James says, can be catastrophic. The damage, far-reaching. This is the reason you'll actually never see anywhere in the Bible a statement like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Because the Bible says this, what is done to you is often of very little significance compared with what is done in you. You see, the Bible actually teaches sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can go places sticks and stones can never go. Right into your soul. Right into your self-image. Right into the very center of your relationships. Words can destroy confidence They can tear down morale. 
They can wreck marriages and families and work environments. Words can absolutely pillage churches. How many churches have fallen apart or been destroyed simply by words? The word that's used for hell in verse 6 here is the Greek word Gehenna. And Gehenna was actually a, a place. It was a valley just outside the city of Jerusalem. It's a place that James and his readers would have been very familiar with. It was sort of like the city dump, but only worse. It was this place where garbage was thrown and burned where bodies were sometimes discarded and tossed to be eaten by dogs. Tradition held that human sacrifices had been offered there, and, and thus some referred to Gehenna as the Valley of Slaughter. And so James, he grabs this word and he uses this place as an image in order to issue us a very strong warning. He's saying, words have the power to put you and others in Gehenna. Most of us have said things we regret. Things we wish we could take back. Things that may have killed intimacy or vulnerability. Words that have landed us in a place of deep isolation. You ever said something and then found yourself in agony over it? Regretting it. Not able to stop reliving it. Have you ever said something that damaged relationship to a point where you felt alone? Let me tell you, friends, loneliness can feel a lot like Gehenna. Just a little sample, just a little taste. Or maybe there were words spoken to you, words that were offered you or said about you that didn't just sting, but that did lasting damage. When I was a middle schooler, I went through this kind of pudgy phase. I was a little chubby. I was mostly pretty chubby around the middle. And my best friend that year, kind of in good, innocent middle school fun, gave me a nickname and he started calling me Doughboy. And it was kind of funny and everyone would laugh, including myself. And those words, friends, they were just a little spark. But they ignited something in me. They lit a flame and created a fire of insecurity in me that would actually last for years. Maybe this is the place for us to stop right here in the middle of the book of James and consider this question and just ask this question real honestly of ourselves, of ourselves as individuals, as families, as a church community. What kind of realities are you giving shape to with the words you speak? How would your kids answer that question? Your parents, the people at your office, the other students at your school. Before we move on, I'll just say this. I think it's important to note, you can do damage with the words you say and with the words you don't say. See, words are powerful, spoken and unspoken. This week, I was actually talking to a friend who said to me, you know, this kind of cuts both ways. I'm the kind of person who ends up regretting the things I say. How many people like that in here tend to be, tend to regret what you say? But this person said, my daughter is the opposite. She tends to regret the things she 
doesn't say, and some of you in here can relate with that. Maybe you've been damaged not just by words that were spoken, but by words that weren't. Words that were withheld. You see, what James says is words have the power to direct lives and to damage people. And now he'll actually begin to talk about how our words won't and will become sparks of life or sparks of destruction. How will we move towards gospel-fueled words and how won't we? He begins like this in verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And here's what James is after. He's saying real clearly, humanity, people can accomplish a lot of amazing things through sheer willpower and human effort. Animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, all tamed by mankind. But becoming a person who speaks life-giving, hope-offering, grace and truth-filled words is not going to happen by simply trying harder. Impossible, he says. Our words, he tells us have this power to drift to the negative. So in other words, if you just work at it and decide, I'm going to buckle down and say good stuff and be more positive, you may succeed for a little while, but because the truth is this, we are fallen, broken people who live in a fallen, broken world. Trying harder is not enough, and it is not the answer. And this is kind of a message that James gives throughout this book. It fits into this larger message that he wants us to apply to our lives and does time and time again. Here's what he says. Don't miss this. Being a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, is not getting a ticket to heaven and then on our own trying really, really hard to be good people. And yet, if I'm honest... I watch so many self-proclaimed Jesus followers trying to do just that. Jesus is my Savior. I am going to heaven. He died for me on the cross. And now I'm just working really hard to be a good person. He says no. He's saying To be a follower of Jesus is to let the love of God, the grace of God, the sacrifice of Jesus be the thing that changes us and transforms us from the inside out. Listen to how he says it. Listen to these words. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's image and made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You see, James says, the core problem with our tongues isn't our tongues. The problem actually goes much deeper. Have you ever noticed, by the way, that when you go to the doctor for a checkup, what she'll do is she'll take one of those oversized popsicle sticks and cram it into your mouth and shove it down on your tongue? Why? She's looking... 
to see what's happening with your tongue as an indicator of what's actually going on deep down inside of you. The tongue indicates what's happening down below. And that's what James says here. He's saying the same thing. When you have a problem with your tongue, when destructive words are rolling off your lips, it's actually just an indicator that something's not right in here. And here's what we learn. Our words have the power to display our hearts. This is where it gets real humbling and real real and extremely practical. If you want to know the status of your heart, don't ask yourself, how do I feel during worship songs in church? I say that because that's what I'm tempted to do. Man, I must be a good-hearted person because when Allie sings that chorus, it really moves me. Isn't Jesus so proud of that emotion I feel when I sing? I'm tempted to think that. I'm tempted to convince myself of that truth. And yet the Bible says, if you want to know the status of your heart, if you really want to know what's happening on the inside, listen to your words. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? And the answer is no. What comes out is a reflection of what is within. And now James is actually just quoting his big brother. That's Jesus, by the way, who says this. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. You see, you show me someone with a consistently critical tongue and I'll show you someone who has a bitter, resentful heart. You show me someone with a deceitful, slandering tongue and I'll show you someone with a desperately needy and troubled heart. You show me someone who gossips and divides and spreads untruth and I'll show you someone whose heart is very, very far from God. You see, what James and Jesus both tell us is this. Our words and our hearts are tethered together. They're irrevocably connected. So if we want to change our words, we have to change our hearts. And so this morning I want to offer you two things to consider as we seek to become people whose hearts and words are both shaped by the gospel, transformed by the good news and the love of God for us and Jesus Christ. And I want to offer you two things. One, the words you say, and two, the words you receive. See, James would say there is so much power in words. Words become this, this expression of where your heart is, but they also become this vehicle to change where your heart is. First of all, the words you say. You see, here's, here's what you'll learn here too from James. Is he never says, it's you, it's your effort, it's what you do, but he also doesn't say, just be passive. Just sit back and go, God, change me. No. You see, what God always longs for, what he asks for, is for us to participate with him in his work, in his work in this world, and his work in us. And so our first strategy to change our hearts and to change our words is actually to think about the words that we say. Consider it this way. Maybe there's a person or a situation that's tough in your life right now. And when you think about that situation or when you think about that person and when you speak, 
the words that come out are just naturally and almost unavoidably damaging and dangerous and destructive kinds of words. Maybe because you're a Christian, you're subtle, possibly passive-aggressive, but the truth is, if you're honest, out of your mouth is what James calls cursing, not building the other up, not seeing the situation through the lens of the gospel. Let me offer you something. What if for one week, seven days, not that long, you decided, I am going to choose. I am going to step into a change. And I am going to very intentionally and purposely choose words of encouragement. Words that focus on and lift up the things that you appreciate, that you enjoy, the admirable qualities about that situation or that person. What if for one week you would just absolutely refuse to say anything negative and watch what happens over the course of that week to your heart? To see what God would do, to see how he would change your heart for that situation or for that individual. Watch the transformation that occurs when you choose to speak words of life. That's strategy one. Strategy one says, your words will lead your heart. And that's exactly what James told us right at the beginning of this. Your words are like a bit in the mouth of a horse. Your words are like a rudder on the bottom of a ship. They can steer your life. They can steer your heart. They can steer how you feel. You see, we don't always just accept what our hearts say. Why? Because our hearts are filled with flesh. They're filled with sin and brokenness and depravity. At least mine is. And so sometimes what the scriptures say is, you have to lead your heart. And one of the ways we lead our hearts is with our words. If words shape who we are, and who we are shapes our words, then our strategy, our second strategy, must be the words that we receive. See, if words shape us, and then who we are determines what we say, then we have to think about what are the words we are allowing to shape us? What are the words that we are actually receiving into our hearts, into our souls? And by the way, when the Bible talks about our hearts, he's not talking about the organ that pumps blood. The heart in the scriptures is the very center of who you are, the very core of your being and of your existence. That's your heart. What words are you receiving into your heart? And friends, if you want, here's what James says, gospel, graceful, life and hope-giving words to come out of your life, then you must let the gospel shape your heart. You've got to take all the words that have told you lies about who you are, and you've got to replace them with the truthful words that God wants to say to you. You see, if you let hurtful, damaging words, and we've all got them, dictate who you are and then what will come out of your, your life and out of your mouth will just be a reflection of that. One of my favorite songs in this entire world is actually a song that we sing at Royal Family Kids Camp. And in case you haven't been around here a lot, Royal Family Kids Camp is a week-long camp we do where we take kids from the foster care system, kids who've been abused and neglected, and abandoned and mistreated by the very people who were supposed to care for them most, their families. 
and they've had a hard time there. And we take those kids, we take them away to camp for a week and we just shower them with God's love. And one of the songs we sing during that week of camp is a song called I Will Change Your Name. And I love to sing. You guys know I love to sing and I would try to sing it with you, but I would literally bawl if I tried to sing it. So I'm just going le- to read you the lyrics of this song. The song says, I will change your name. I will change your name. You shall no longer be called wounded, outcast, lonely, afraid. I will change your name. Your new name shall be confidence, joyfulness, overcoming one, faithfulness, friend of God, and one who seeks my face. You see, friends, one of the ways in which we change our hearts to change our words as we let the gospel, the good news, the love of Jesus Christ impact us on a, in a deep and significant way. And that is why every single week at the end of our services, we come to this table. Because what this table is, is a physical reminder of words, words that God says about you. This, at this table is where God says, you've been told that your name is stupid, Ugly, not smart enough, not good enough, unlovable, arrogant, proud, rude. You've been told a lot of things about who you are and God says, no, 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 come to the table and let me remind you what your name really is and who you really are. He says, come to the table and let me offer you some words that will shape your soul. Words like, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Words that say, you're so valuable and you matter so much that I sent my one and only son to die on the cross for you, friends. And I'll tell you what, we get that message a lot around here, but it is a message that my soul never tires of receiving. Maybe today you need to hear those words. Maybe today those words from your mom or dad or grandpa or a teacher that you had are still ringing around in your head and there are lies floating around in there and God wants to come and say, those words are not true. I've got some new words for you. I got some new words for you of how loved and lovely and wonderful and special and significant you are. Here's some words for us as we prepare to come to the table. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said some words. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, in remembrance of how much I loved you, in remembrance of this thing that I've done for you because you matter so much and you are so significant. And let that reality, let that truth, let those words change you from the inside out. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And what he's saying there, friends, is we don't just proclaim an event that happened long ago. We proclaim a truth that lives on in you and me. And that's this. We are children of the Most High God who loves us. So this morning, we're going to give you some space. Some space to come to the table. Maybe you need to bring some words. Some words that were offered to you. Some words that just aren't true. Some words that have been playing around in your mind for years and you just need to say, God, replace these words with words of truth. Maybe you need to come today with some words that you've spoken to some people that heard them. Say, Lord, change my words. Change my attitude. Change my heart. Help me to speak life and truth and hope in this relationship or in this situation. But come today knowing that there's grace, knowing that there's significance, knowing that there's power to change at the cross. And then speaking of words, if you need help, because sometimes we need help, sometimes I need help, because I don't have the words. I need other people, I need the body of Christ to speak words for me or on my behalf. And if that's you today, there'll be people up here on the sides and in the back who want to pray with you, who just want to speak words of life, even words to God and from God to your soul. And so come if you need prayer. Don't be too proud to get words of life in a family, in a church that loves you. So take a few minutes. I'm going to pray, and then when you're ready, the tables will be open. Take the elements, the bread and the cup, and receive them on your own. Pray with me, and then we'll receive the meal. Father, We love you and we thank you for loving us so much, for showering us with words of life and truth and hope. Lord, even your words of correction and challenge and courage and help. So this morning, Lord, if there are words that need to be pulled out and up and if there are words that need to be shut down and back, put away forever, By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, do that in us. And may we be a church that lives in and speaks and is transformed by words of life. That's our prayer, Lord, that we would be that kind of people together. And we declare it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.